and we're going to worship the Lord if someone has a song that is in your heart to worship God you can go ahead and sing John chapter 9 the last thing we heard from this man was that he was telling the people that um, someone made mud and touched his eyes, his blind eyes. A man called Jesus in John chapter 9, verse 11. They asked him, once they recognized it was really the man, and he himself told them, I'm the one who was born blind and I can see, it's me. It's not someone else, it's actually me. Then they asked him in John chapter 9, verse 10, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, as we know, is a day of rest. But it is not a day for God to rest from giving life, for bringing healing, deliverance, and restoration. Because God wants us to enter into his rest. God is so good. He's so faithful. He's so compassionate. He cares about us. He's not content to be by himself happy when his children are suffering, when his creation especially human beings, are in misery. And God will heal 24-7, seven days a week, year after year, because He is a God who cares. He's a God of compassion, and He's a God of power. He's a God who's willing to act. And so the Sabbath is not just to rest and not do anything good. The evil people would take the law and stick with the letter of the law, make it a technical, legalistic thing where they cannot help another human being. What's the use of going to church or going to the synagogue, as they did, making sure we do everything properly, as far as our religious convictions go to meet the obligations of that society of religious people and ignore matters of the heart mercy faith and proper judgment or justice the Lord says if you're going to bring your tithes Don't bring them without having a proper heart. 
But if you're going to bring them and you have faith, love, and righteousness or proper judgment and justice, if you come to me with the right heart, which is not difficult, otherwise God wouldn't ask us to do it. So, insistently, God wants us to approach him in the right way. And if somebody is coming to God and they are coming in the proper way like Abel did in the book of Genesis, like Abel did in the book of Hebrews, he came with his offering he took the best because he believed in God and he revered God he respected God he had great reverence for God unlike Cain his brother his brother took whatever he could and brought it to God said here I know I'm supposed to do this so here and it's written that God rejected Cain's offering but he accepted Abel's. When Cain was upset that God wouldn't accept his offering, these things still happen today. When one person is doing well and they prosper and God blesses them or they are getting closer to God, there are some people who get very envious. They begin to have this rivalry even in the kingdom of God in the house of God and the Lord had to rebuke his disciples he said in this kingdom God's kingdom whoever will be the greatest among you let him become the least the servant which means also having that humility making room for others to be blessed rather than feeling bad if others get blessed or when they get blessed. Cain had a problem. His countenance fell. His face changed. His feelings came right on his face. God said, what's wrong? If you did the right thing, like your brother did, I would accept you too. But right now, there's sin at your door. Be careful. You don't let sin master you. You have to master it. In the New Testament, it says the wages of sin is death. So every feeling that is contrary to mercy or love, real faith, trusting God, and a righteous heart, we have to actually reject it when it comes. Daniel made a video for his college a few years ago and um, he did a he had to do a, a media presentation for his film class and all his projects are centered around the Lord even though he's in a secular college and the Lord always gives him exceptional exceptional grades from the secular professors. And in this particular video, he had the theme that 
intruders will come in to try to enter a person's mind, which is the devil. They try to enter, and as his um, comparison or analogy was with the computers, how the security can be breached, and uh, intruders can hack into the computer. There are warnings, but when the warnings are ignored, then the intruder comes in. There's damage. And at the end, he had the entire mansion on his campus. He did a video technique where the whole mansion was covered with the blood of Jesus, stating that the person was in there safe. Just like an intruder would come and break into that building, so in the computer... And so in the mind. So whatever feelings are contrary to the Lord, we need to reject those things. So they brought the offerings on the Sabbath day. And they would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, especially. They would try to give that day to God. That was the legal requirement as well as the moral requirement. But... As the Apostle says, a lot of them they looked at the letter of the law and they totally ignored the spirit behind it. And the spirit behind the Sabbath day is rest without sin. Rest with room for compassion. Rest with an expectation of miracles from the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of Rest. That's the real way to go to church. That's the real way God wanted them, the Jews, to attend the synagogue. Bring your offerings, but make sure your heart is right first. If not, the offering is contaminated. These people, they kept that strict requirement of the Sabbath in many ways. But they missed that deeper requirement, the moral requirement of how they should be in that Sabbath rest every day. And it's the same with us. If you and I are walking with the Lord Jesus every day, then when Sunday comes and we go to the house of God, there is that word again I like to use. There's a seamless transition even though there's a greater expectation of God's presence in the corporate setting, there's a greater reverence that I'm going into not just any building, but a house where God is coming down, God is present. But every day, if I fear the Lord, it would be my delight, as David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I went with them to keep holy day. Holy day. Because he was the worshiper of God. He gave God his best. These people missed that. And so when someone's life was restored on the Sabbath, the religious leaders said, uh, he can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Would God contradict himself? Who can give life and who can open the eyes of the blind? The devil cannot do it. 
He can mimic those things. He can't really give life. The common people understood this has to be from God. Some of the leaders understood. And they received it. But many of them had this jealousy. We don't want him to do anything. We don't care. Who gets delivered? And so people maybe today, it's not my problem. You have your problems and I have my problems. Don't let your problems come to my door and I won't let my problems come to your door, hopefully. That's not the life of Jesus. He deliberately went to bear people's problems. And somebody says, well, that's Jesus. We can't do it. Not the way he did, exactly, but we have our own way where the Lord says, bear ye one another's burdens out of love. That's a command from the epistles. Bear one another's burdens. Be interested not only in your own things, but in the things of others. It's a wonderful thing to help family and friends. But the agape love of God, that first fruit of the Spirit, which Jesus manifested, goes to strangers in need. As I mentioned yesterday about the old lady, the grandmother, all alone, but not alone. The Lord is with her, working in her, and she went to the prisons. Heart was full and glad, very strategically going there with one agenda, heaven's agenda. I want prisoners to get born again and know the Lord Jesus and turn from their sins and become a light to help others turn from their sins and find the Lord. She was concerned about people that were true strangers. These Pharisees were into this cultic mentality which concerned only their circle. And often, even in their circles, when the Lord indicted them on various matters concerning marriage and divorce and uh, misinterpreting the law, putting a heavy burden on the people, didn't matter to them really whether they were instructing the people to love and to be fair. They didn't care. Just bring whatever you have, the honor, the money, all that we need to make our position secure. They didn't care. They had another law. God's law was you have to be right before you bring anything to me. Otherwise it will be rejected. Because the person matters more. The heart matters more than the gift. The gift should be a reflection of the heart. The heart has to have these three things that the Lord said in Matthew 23 to these very same people. Make sure you have mercy, which is love. He said, make sure... You have faith. You really believe me. And if you really believe me, you're going to honor me the way I told you. That's the implication. Third, make sure you have judgment or justice or righteousness, right thinking, right judgment. He said, when you have that, then bring the offerings. I didn't tell you not to bring the offerings, the tithes, but bring them, but make sure you have a right heart because if you don't have a right heart, he said, I don't want anything. If you have some unforgiveness between you and your brother, some person, he said, leave the gift right at the altar before you offer it to me. Go and reconcile with that person and come back. See how keen God is on the heart. Can we 
pass one over on God and say, Lord, I've made it to church and I did that. I gave to charity. I gave my tithes. And I do have some problems, but God, don't you care more about what I'm giving with my hands? And you know how much I work, Lord? Why, I did 80 hours this week. And here's a handsome tithe from that, 10%, God. You should be happy. God would say, in effect, you can bring me 100% of your salary. I don't want anything if your heart is not right. Giving, deliverance, and healing. Do they care about that? No. How cruel and how we can be the same way. Have you ever seen someone who, even when a blessing comes to another person who's suffering, whether financially or physically, or they're all alone, when good things happen, because they don't like the person who's doing the good thing, they totally don't even acknowledge the need that's been met for another person. That's called monstrosity. And the Lord diagnoses that. But praise God that we are learning about the fruit of the Spirit, beginning with love, God's kind of love. That, Lord, I, I feel this way. It's good to recognize when we don't feel right. We're not thinking right. But we need to take it to the Lord, that's all. If I don't like to see someone prosper, if the truth be told, if that's the case, I like my family to prosper, my friends, some of them, but other people, who, could, who cares? I don't care if they live or die. That's what God is concerned about with Christians. We should care very deeply about strangers. In fact, he told the Israelites, make sure you treat strangers properly when they come into your country, the land that I'm giving you. You know what the Lord said after that? Because you yourself were once strangers in the land that wasn't yours. These people should have rejoiced. The man who was blind, and everybody knows this is a legitimate, genuine miracle. It had to be from God. Who did it? Oh, Jesus. And when did he do it? Mm-hmm. Just as I thought, just as we suspected, let's gather the council together. This man is guilty. He healed someone on the Sabbath. Don't you know when somebody is screaming in pain and they need your help, you're supposed to tell them, it's the Sabbath day, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Keep screaming until the next day comes and the Sabbath is over. Maybe I can help you. The Lord said in another part, He said, you hypocrites. Which one of you will not go and rescue his animal that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath day? Will you wait and let that creature struggle? Oh, no, 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 because you see there's uh, some money at stake there. It's the very animal that produces milk and we can make cheese and it's the animal that brings uh, meat and too valuable. I've got to go rescue it. Are you breaking the Sabbath? Maybe. But I can't let the poor animal. What about a human being? 
Once more, we must emphasize this. It must be said again when the occasion comes. There are many, many people who care more for animals than they do for human beings. Is that not an incongruity? Is it not something that is sorely wrong? Although animals are God's creation, animals are given just as they were for Adam to name. They can be domesticated, they can be used, they can be shown affection. The Lord has that in the Bible. He said, don't treat the animals cruelly. He cares. But never would God ever say that the affection for an animal should take the place of sacrificial love for human beings made in the image of God. Especially a Christian in a family that has problems with family members, but gets along with animals, must really go to God and say, Lord, something is terribly wrong with me. And some may venture to say, well, the problem is not with me, you see. My family members, they don't acknowledge me and they don't like me and they don't talk properly to me. But this dog, this cat, this bird, this whatever pet, it doesn't talk back and bother me. It just lets me pet it. We get along fine. We may say that's a Pharisaic sake of spirit right there because I'm concerned with my world. In God's economy, God's world, things are not right. Everything's upside down. God is concerned that the relationships between human beings take precedence over relationships with animals. Why? Because human beings were made in the image of God. They have the image of the living God. No animal has that. No matter how Science may try to prove its intellectual capability or potential, behavioral similarities in development to human beings' development, whatever they say. God's word is true. You don't see animals sitting around planning how we can solve the hunger problem in the world, bring peace to a war-torn area, how we can make laws so our neighbors don't get hurt. Conscience is put in a human being. The ability to respond and relate to the living God in a manner unlike any other creature is solely given to a human being. And only a human being can be born again. No animal can be born again. But if I read the word of God and I allow the spirit of God to speak to me, just like these people, God will identify in my life what things are actually pharisaical. It seems to be proper in their eyes, but not in God's eyes. And there begins the sincere discipleship. There are people who are born again, 
but they've never really embarked on a true discipleship journey with the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because they want to be the master. When God says, go reconcile, they say, no, I'm not doing it. They have to come. Lord, I'm waiting on them. Is that what God did for us? Waited on us? Till we did all kinds of rituals and all kinds of dances and ceremonial things before he came to earth to die for our sins. No, he did it. He came looking for us. Especially a believer should understand I'm not supposed to be like the world. I'm not supposed to be the way I was. If I am, then I need to know it's a big problem before the Lord's sight. And I want to come near to this Jesus. Who? This man. The man called Jesus did this. The Pharisees said, well, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Let's backtrack here. Verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Was it random? A random act any day? No. Specifically, we see, over and over again. He did do it every day. But there were many instances on purpose he did it on the Sabbath day. How do we know he did it on other days? He couldn't possibly have done all the miracles on one day. Because in the same gospel it says, many other things Jesus did. I suppose if they're written down, the whole whole world could not contain the books that they would fill. But he specifically did miracles on the Sabbath days to expose the hypocrisy in these religious rebels before God. Oh, they had the garment. Orthodox, priest, Pharisee. You looked apart. You walked apart. You talked apart. But in your heart, you depart from the truth. The Lord went right to the heart. And you know what? He goes right to my heart and to your heart. One day we'll stand before the Lord. It may be that this day, when these things were discussed, among other things the Lord has said to you personally on other occasions in your lifetime, it may be that this day, this will be brought up on Judgment Day. And the word that you heard that day, when God said, take off the mask. If you don't love human beings the way Jesus does, if you can't love people outside of your own circle with a genuine concern, in a self-sacrificial spirit. You don't have the nature of God operating in you. How can you expect to go to heaven? And we need to say, Lord, I need a change. Some people get dull. Some people get self-deceived. Some people get suspicious. Some people live lives full of suspicion. They say that alcoholism can be genetically transmitted. There are certain genes and certain uh, propensities that can be passed on from generation to generation. So can suspicion. A suspicious attitude all the time. It has to do with fear. It has to do with mistrust and distrust. 
It has to do with insecurity. But Jesus comes and he heals that. But we shouldn't go back and look for that garbage again. Eyes peering and seeing who doesn't like me and who doesn't like God. And I judge everyone and I'm fine and they're not. Well, it's said about people who are mentally ill. Seriously mentally ill. Psychologically off. They truly believe that they're right and everybody in the world is wrong. Everybody. That's the enemy working. We need to say, Lord, the more I read your word, the more I get close to you, it seems to be a complete expose on my heart's condition. I don't know if I like this. You know what I want to do, Lord? I want to sing a hymn. Uh, maybe I'll clap if I have to. I want to sit down and hear a sermon that makes me feel good. And Lord, I'll be back next Sunday. Thank God. God has come to us and taught us otherwise. Every day should be Sunday. And people say, wear your Sunday best to church. It's supposed to be, supposed to be in relation to honoring God. And that's the reason we dress our best, or we should. If someone doesn't have the clothing, they don't have the finances, but they do the best they can, they may be better dressed in God's sight than the person who has a lot of money and is dressed very fancy, uh, in a fancy way. How quickly a person can judge. Imagine if in our church... A stranger appears. He's wearing tattered shorts, sandals. He's got hair down to his hips. This man coming in all of a sudden, no one knows who he is. No weapons, nothing. Got a shirt, some buttons missing. But he comes and sits down. Now, granted, it would be wise to keep an eye on people who are strangers, the way the world is going, but we also need to have compassion and see as God sees and not judge incorrectly. That's what the Pharisees were guilty of, one of those things God pointed out. Suppose that person should say, I want to hear more. Can I come next Sunday? How many people would say, you can come next Sunday, but do you see what we're wearing? You need to get some slacks. I don't have any. Well, you need to get some money. Go get a job. I can't work. Well, you better find another church. Do you know how many people would actually say that? It actually happens. It's a, a small example of the religious pride and hypocrisy that we can be carrying around, becoming judges. And suppose that same person with the tattered shorts, sandals, the shirt with some buttons missing, long hair to the hips, a man coming in like a force of nature, right in the midst of the congregation. Suppose he raises his hand and he says, May I please pray? 
another level of indignation from some people. How dare you ask to pray? Don't you know the protocol here? Where did this man come from? We hear a sermon right now. Maybe prayer for later. As long as he's not obnoxious and boisterous and a troublemaker, can we deny that individual? Who knows what's happening inside of him? Suppose the permission is given and the man says, God, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for bringing me here. Change my life. Suppose that's all he knows. If that prayer is sincere, all of heaven would back that man up. We better be sure that we're on heaven's side. The Pharisees had issues. You can't do this on the Sabbath day. This man is not from God. The Pharisees also asked him again, verse 15, how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And in fact, they're saying to the Pharisees, you should know better than that. How can you make such a statement? He's not from God. He can open the eyes of a blind man, born blind. We don't care about that. Yes, it's obvious you don't care about that. You don't care about God. You don't care about blind people. You only care about you and the way you want to do religion. And anyone who doesn't fit your profile, they're garbage to you. Isn't that right? We didn't say that. Well, the Lord will point that out to them in many ways. Bring out that dirt that's hidden behind that long white robe and all of their phylacteries, all of that paraphernalia that says to the whole society, I'm religious, I'm above you, so don't mess with me. Me and God are close. The Lord came and said, you're not close with God. You don't even know God. They said, how can a man who's a sinner do signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. There's a commotion over here. He said, he's a prophet. They didn't want to hear that. Just like with John the Baptist, they really didn't want to hear that. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Is this a, a real miracle? Was this man really born blind? And they asked him, asked them, the parents, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. There should be no hope that this man could be the Messiah. Of course that man would have told his parents. That's why they hid that. They were afraid. We may see this this morning and say, well, there's a precedent in Scripture. You have parents and they're afraid of society, so they keep quiet about Jesus. That's not an example for us. It's an example of what not to do. There are two kinds of examples in the Bible. Two categories. One, that we should follow. Another category, we should not follow. Both are there intentionally from God, placed there by the Holy Spirit, to give us a clear line of demarcation to show what is the right way, what is the wrong way. His parents didn't confess Christ. They should have. If God's done a miracle for my child born blind, can I zip my lip? Should I give glory to God who did it? How would it be if God didn't do the miracle? How extraordinarily elated they should have been. Filled with joy. And thought, I've got to give glory to God. I don't care who it is. I'll tell the whole world. I don't care if they love God or not. This is the person that did it. Could it be the Messiah? We know God sent him. They didn't speak as much as the man. They were afraid. We need to speak up. We need to speak up. Don't be afraid. I've had some people, even relatives tell me, you work in New York City when I was working the secular job? I said, be careful. You have all kinds of people coming there. Don't you go telling them and preaching to them about Christ. Thankfully, I didn't listen to them. Many, many hearts were convicted by the truth. And there were people who got born again. I also risked my job. God protected it over 27 years until I wanted to leave. That convenience, the fear, the insecurity, the risks. Is God worth it all? He risked not only, but he gave everything. Everything. We should be eager to tell people, not just the pastor, not just a few people in the family, even that some people are afraid. May God take that fear out of you if you're afraid to tell, Jesus is my Lord, so let them slap you. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake, Jesus says. They did the same to the prophets. So be exceedingly glad. Rejoice. You have a great reward in heaven. They feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. They didn't want to lose that benefit. Ostracized. Rejected. What's going to happen to my family image, my face? It's a very sad thing when we really think about it. How many opportunities God gives us to speak up, to tell people boldly 
Jesus is alive. Jesus has healed me. Of what? Tell them. Tell them the whole thing. As I mentioned about the servicemen, I've encountered this quite a number of times. He came, he had a stern look, came to put the fuel, the propane, the other day. And uh, he wasn't particularly friendly. He wasn't particularly mean, but not friendly either. Just uh, kind of tense. And as he was filling the propane, I began to tell him about Esther's testimony. And then he was listening intently. And after about probably seven minutes, he said, well, my wife had a uh, condition years ago. And he told me that. And in the course of saying that, he said, um, oh, yeah, God, when I mentioned the Lord. Then he says to me that, my wife and I were youth ministers. I would have never known. But it's an indication sometimes. He did confess that in the morning something irritated him. And he said, as soon as I finished this task here, I was going to go back into my van and turn on the worship music to worship God to get my mind right again. Well, that's possible. But the point is that we should not be incognito. Because Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Among the good works. What good works should we do? They said in John chapter 6. The Lord said, believe. And if you believe, what will happen? You're going to speak. David said, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. We have to open our mouth and tell people. Can we stand by to see people, all kinds of people, go to hell when we have the answer? How many people have come to faith through you, through me? One day we'll have to give an account to the Lord. These parents were afraid. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss my connection with the the religious center of the whole Jewish life. They're gonna kick us out of the synagogue. Husband and wife would have agreed. Don't you say anything about the man that healed our son. How do you think God would have felt? He would have been grieved because he did so much for their son that they wouldn't confess it. May it not happen with us. If it has, may it be no longer the case. Tell everyone, Jesus cured me of anxiety. Hallelujah. I have no issue. In fact, I love to tell people that a person who is to Scorn, actually, because I didn't understand and I also wasn't right. Years ago, I used to literally think, what's wrong with people who get anxiety attacks? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. All you have to do is not be afraid. What are you afraid of? Until it happened to me. It was a satanic attack out of nowhere. And I was able to feel what people feel when they have those attacks. Feel like your heart's going to stop. You want to run out. You want to do something. It's, it's actually a precursor to some kind of suicidal feeling. God will allow us to go through some things 
but we get humbled, but we also can understand what others are going through. But you know what? God kicked that devil right out. I had to appropriate by faith and speak God's word. There was a fight. God gave victory. Hallelujah. But I can tell people I know exactly what it is. But I want to tell you, no medicine, nothing. Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, kicked those demons out of my life when they tried to take me down. He can do the same for you. Has God healed you of something? You're obligated under heaven to tell not just the church folk, but the pastors, but the world. They said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Come on. You better say the same thing, okay? Because we're the religious leaders and we know how to give God glory. We're telling you. You don't tell us. We're telling you. This man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. I don't know his personal life. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Now, you would think that this kind of answer was kind of diplomatic and neutral. They were infuriated. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That did it. It's like they exploded. Then they reviled him. They said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The man answered. He didn't let go. You see that boldness coming out. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing. He's going single-handedly, except God is with him also, against the establishment. The people who have the book, they have the robes. They have all the rights in society to be held as the authority. This man didn't back down. He said, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of, up until that point, that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do this. He could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Walking ever so deftly, skillfully, majestically, humbly, those feet underneath that long robe, taking those religious steps, dignified, maybe hands together, speaking within the confines and boundaries of social etiquette, saying just the right words to everybody, saluting everyone and talking to them. 
but now exploding. What happened? Well, what was on the inside really came out now. You know why? They were missing love. No love. Missing righteous judgment. No justice. No righteousness in their lives. They were missing faith. They claimed to believe in God, but they didn't want God. They didn't want God to heal anybody. Can you imagine that? They rather look up to heaven and say, God, why in the world did you heal somebody on the Sabbath? God, don't you know? It's 5.59 p.m. In one second. Friday evening, the Sabbath has started. Six o'clock. Save it, God. Until Sunday, please. If we translate this and transfer this to ap apply today, is that religious spirit, pride, envy, anger, absolutely zero care for a human being suffering. This is truly monstrous, is it not? But this is the human heart, shrouded in religion. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Similar to what the Lord told the Samaritan woman. I'm the one speaking to you. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, that those who see may be made blind. This is what Isaiah the prophet said in his quote in the Gospels. Seeing, they may not see. Why? Because they chose the path. Like Pharaoh of old, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart. Then it's written that God hardened his heart. It's over. It's the danger of disobedience. We never know. It's a gamble. Eternal gamble. We never know at what point, if we keep committing sin, keep being angry and bitter and unforgiving. We don't know at what point all of a sudden the calcification can happen in the human heart. Where all of a sudden it's become stone. There's a danger. These people have the Torah. They had the Tanakh. They had the writings of the prophets. They had all of that available. They would study the scroll. They would memorize it. They would teach it. What happened? How could you miss mercy? Faith. Justice. How is it possible? Early in the morning, I was reading Jeremiah 44. And I saw very clearly how it was possible. 
Jewish people of Judah ran to Egypt when God says, submit to Nebuchadnezzar. There's a judgment over here. Go with him. I'll be with you in Babylon. Don't worry. I'll take care of you. Just go with him. I have to do this because of the sins of the nation. They said, no, we're going to Egypt. They went to Egypt, and in Egypt, they told Jeremiah, when Jeremiah warned them, God's going to destroy you, repent, and come back. They said, no. We will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven. We'll do whatever we want. You know, another thing, Jeremiah, it was far better when we used to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven while we lived in Israel. But when we stopped, all the bad things happened. Now we're doing it again in Egypt. As I read that early in the morning, I thought immediately, why, this is what these people said in the wilderness. We had it really good in Egypt. I like that old way of living. I like that old way, you know, toughen up and keep my guard up and uh, don't love too much. You may get hurt and um, don't be too kind. You may get spat upon. You can be a Christian, but you can also be you. Where you can act unchristian sometimes. That's the way it works. That's the backsliding spirit that comes in to take a person to hell. These people, whether they were in Egypt or in the wilderness, they always had something to say. And they told Jeremiah, we're going to do it all the more. We know our wives are burning incense to the Queen of Heaven. We're supporting them. We're all in it. We got our own religion. Read Jeremiah 44. It's written right there. And you think, how in the world could you, after generations of having the temple right there, with the Word of God. The epistles say through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit, no other nation was given the oracles of God. No one saw the mighty works of God like Israel did. Look at what happened to them. They shook their fist at God and said, we're going to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven. We have another God. We have a goddess. And the judgment came right through Jeremiah after that. God said it's over. He said, I know you're going to do exactly what you said you're going to do. Go ahead. You're going to die. It's over. Because God said, I, I rose early and I kept sending prophets to you. Well, again, we see the monstrosity of the human heart when we don't listen to God about mercy, judgment, or righteousness, and faith. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? I can see you. You can see me. What's he talking about? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore your sin remains. Talking about two kinds of blindness and he's catching them in their own words. These clever foxes like he would call Herod the fox. He's talking about spiritual blindness and they're talking about physical blindness. He said, if you're physically blind, you'll be okay. You got the terrible spiritual blindness. You're not okay. 
God has brought us to John chapter 9 this morning, to a conclusion. And I pray that the Word of God would convict us more and more so we don't end up like the Pharisees. So, Father, I just want to kneel before you. I just want to humble myself, Lord, not only physically but internally, spiritually. Lord, am I a Pharisee, Lord? God have mercy. Because the Lord would say later, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not making it to heaven. Well, what is the righteousness of the Pharisees? The letter of the law and also a deviation, not the spirit of the law, which is love and mercy. It's good for us to investigate whether we're actually in the way of genuine love, where we love even strangers, not just feel sorry for them, oh, that poor person in Africa, that poor person in Haiti, the poor person in India, how tragic, that poor person, horrible, even Christians, as I heard in Pakistan. A young girl was murdered by her own brother, I believe the father or an uncle. Why? She had recently come to faith in Christ. She was forced to marry at the age of 12. Terrible. And had a separation. All the pain of this child. Oh Lord, have mercy. And then came to faith so full of hope. Recently received the Bible satanic thing like this happened to her but she's in heaven she's far above every principality and power seated with Christ but how could it get to the point and the point here is that as a Christian we can read that and it can become another statistic because you know why it doesn't concern my immediate family or even my church we should allow ourselves to cry. We should allow ourselves to break down and say, Oh Lord, the poor child, oh Lord, your martyr. Oh Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What bravery the child had. She wouldn't give up her faith and utterly betrayed. But what a testimony. We can diagnose any callousness that may be there and say, Lord, I don't want this. It's too much. I don't want any callousness. I don't want to just love me, myself and I, the three most important people to me, me, myself and I. But I don't want to just even love my spouse or my children, my family, my neighbors. Lord, you call me to love the whole world. I'm available. I'm your servant, Lord. I'm not here to tell you where to place me and what to do with me. I'm at your command. Lord, send me to Scandinavia, Lord. Send me, Lord, to Africa. Send me, Lord, to Australia, wherever you want to send me. Send me to New York City. Send me out in my neighborhood to tell people at the grocery store. Do you know you can strike up conversations? It's not hard. God has helped me over the years. 
God will show you exactly if you have a heart for it. You can talk about the weather and say, thank God, and that's usually how I start. I start with whatever the topic I say, yeah, I thank God, and see the response. Now go a little further. Yes, I, I couldn't enjoy this before because I had this situation, and God helped me. And give the gospel to them. How many people can become born again if we don't hold back like the parents did in our situation? If we have real love, if we have that conviction and we don't squash it, you know, I should have given that person a tract. Yesterday I had men banging at the door over here twice for a delivery. I had pulled a muscle by the shoulder blade. They had to go and went. And he wasn't happy. He said, I got to go, I got to go. And I thought, okay, this is a little challenge. But he's going to get the gospel from me. He hurriedly unloaded what he had to unload and he went to the truck. Before he went there, I handed him a tract from our church. And I said, I said, take a look at this when you get a chance. He took it said, thank you. And I said, God bless you. Sometimes that's all the time we have, but we can make use of it. We should be ready to tell the world, the one who saves is Jesus Christ. We all need salvation. It's through Jesus' blood. The one who healed me is Jesus Christ. The one who delivered me from anxiety is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That man was ready to tell the whole world. And God saw that he was a faithful steward of the gift of sight that he gave him. And when he revealed himself more fully, the man worshipped. He got born again. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You've given us mouths, Lord, to speak. Oh, I pray with every brother and sister that, Lord, we would not only not keep silent, but tell people because, Lord, many people are going through so much, but you, we can't tell, Lord. But your gospel is the remedy for every problem. How can we hold it back? Oh, Father, I pray. And help the people of our church, Lord, to be careful not to go too forward, Lord, to lay hands on anyone. As some just recently have come back to the Lord. And some are struggling to walk right. Have no business laying hands on anyone. There are evil spirits that can come and attack them. Lord, but I pray that they would open their mouth, they would have tracts, they would tell people, come to the house of God, come to my church, where you can have deliverance, healing for your marriage. God can do miracles. Let me tell you what miracles have happened in my church. Lord, you've set us as a lighthouse under your command by your grace. May everyone open their mouths and say, come and see what the real Jesus is doing. And thank you, Lord, for showing us 
how our hearts must be checked regularly because out of it are the issues of life. And we have the exceeding great privilege, Lord God Almighty, to be able to follow the steps you've given us, to keep our hearts always tender, full of love, full of faith, full of righteousness. I thank you for giving us the insight. Lord, that goes beyond the surface. Help us to be more like you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord. In our frailty, Lord, you're able to help us. Lord, you are perfecting us. Help us to cooperate. And help us, Lord, to tell people. God has done a great work in me. And he's still working. But I'm far from what I used to be by the grace of God. He can do that for you too. Help us to bring hope to the people. Everywhere. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen.